Life is not lived solely in stories. Yet this is the way we talk about our lives, in moments that must impart a lesson. Consequently, in much of the literature on work and life, our tale would begin with a recitation of dark moments. A snowstorm threatening to maroon me in Los Angeles while my husband is in Europe and my three young children are with a sitter in Pennsylvania who wasn't planning on keeping them for several snowy days straight. Or, perhaps, I am in New York City overnight in order to be on a morning show at dawn. I am trying to turn in early when my husband calls to report that, after taking the kids to the circus, he's realized they're locked out of our new house. He's in problem-solving mode, calling me to get the numbers of people with a spare key, and when they don't pick up the phone, letting me know that the locksmith will be there in two hours. I shouldn't worry. They have adequate bottles. But of course, the net result is that I am pacing around my hotel room, picturing my five-month-old baby out in the car in the middle of the cold night. How am I supposed to sleep after that? I could begin with such tales and then lament the craziness of modern life and the impossibility of having it all. Ever since The Atlantic put Anne-Marie Slaughter's manifesto on this topic on the cover and scored millions of reads, it's a truth in media circles that the phrase can't have it all, lures women in. Tales that let us be voyeurs to such foibles draw clicks. People hunt for more extreme examples. An editor seeking submissions for a book of such stories suggested, as an example of what she wanted, getting a text message from a sick child while flying an F-16 over Afghanistan. In 2012, the legal world posted reams of comments in response to a widely circulated departure memo from a Clifford Chance associate with two young children. In it, she chronicled an awful day, describing middle-of-the-night wake-ups from the kids, a colleague who sat on a note until daycare was closing, a bad commute, a not-exactly-helpful husband, and a long to-do list waiting for her after she wrestled the kids into bed. Needless to say, I have not been able to simultaneously meet the demands of career and family, and so the only choice available the choice we all seem to understand, was to quit. But in this book, I want to tell a different story. The key to this is realizing that life isn't lived in epiphanies and that looking for lessons and the necessity of big life changes in dark moments profoundly limits our lives. I came to see this not in an aha moment, but in an accumulation of conversations that convinced me that my research into time use might be giving me insights that the larger world was missing. As one example, in summer 2013, I talked with a young woman who'd formerly worked at a consulting firm. She was thinking of starting a coaching company that would counsel women like our Clifford Chance heroine to negotiate for part-time or flexible work arrangements. It was a perfectly good business idea, but her explanation for why she liked the concept stuck in my mind. I looked at the senior women in my firm, she told me, and there was no one whose life I wanted. Normally, I might have let that go as background noise, the sort of thing young women say to one another, but I had been reading a lot of Sheryl Sandberg. So I began formulating a response that I eventually realized needed to become its own treatise. It starts like this. Several years ago, I wrote a book called 168 Hours, You Have More Time Than You Think. One happy result of releasing the book 
was that numerous companies asked me to come speak about how people should manage their time. To make my workshop more useful, I started asking a few audience members to keep track of their time before our session. These time logs, which are half-hour by half-hour records of an entire week, revealed what issues people in the audience cared about and how much time they spent at work, at home, and on personal activities. I'd analyzed these logs with my audience guinea pigs so I could talk about the challenges people faced. These audience members could then tell their colleagues how they dealt with them. Our sessions were interactive and, I hoped, enlightening. I speak to all sorts of audiences, but often the women's networking group at whichever company I was visiting decided to sponsor my talk. Many of the time logs I collected for my talks, therefore, would come from the female executives who ran these networking groups. Many of these women had children. And over time, I noticed something. Their lives didn't look that bad. <laughs>